Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Genesis 27 verse 38 from the 40, from 27 from verse 38 is where we shall begin from. Hashitele baranda. Kazile keleanda. The scriptures say, if there have been no interpreter, how shall it be known? Let's read. The Bible says, And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Let's read again. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and did what? He wept. Next verse. And Isaac, his father answered and said unto him behold thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above and by the sword thou shalt leave and thou shalt serve thy brother and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off your neck hallelujah praise the Lord Jesus a small Recap for some of you who don't get this picture. Simply put, there's this gentleman called Isaac. Isaac has two boys who? Esau and Jacob. Prophecy was spoken before these two boys came into being that the younger one shall be served by the older. Consequently, many things happened all through, but were all working for the good of Jacob because Jacob was the rightful, blessed one of God. For the Bible says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Now the Bible tells us very distinctively that when he sends his boy for venison, meat, that he might eat and bless, Rebekah, which was the mother of both boys, also was inclined to the heart of God toward the blessing that she switched the place and heard that there was a guy supposed to be blessed and therefore she worked with her own mind and might to make sure that the blessing is switched from the elder boy to the younger one. Which now, Jacob comes in. And Jacob comes in the presence of his father and he says, mm, The skin is of my boy who? Esau. But the voice is of Jacob. There is a deep stink, there is a depth there. But it's not what I came to preach about today. It's one thing when a man approaches the place of blessing and the voice is different from the skin. Hallelujah. I don't know whether you understand what I mean. The flesh is different from... Anyway, you'll understand in future. So, she comes, he comes, he takes the blessing, and then the, young, the elder one comes and also brings venison. And then he cooks it, and then he discovers that the brother had what? Taken the blessing. So, the 38th verse begins from a place where he's saying, do you have only one blessing? Don't you have other blessings also? And he tells him, oh, okay. Since you're saying so, he started crying. And when he started crying, the father tells him, okay, I'm going to bless you. He told him, behold, your dwelling shall be 
the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, and by thy sword thou shalt live, and thou shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have thee dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from thy neck. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, and they will, then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words, Esau, her, Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau has touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise, flee thou to Laban, your brother, my brother, to Haran. And that was the time where, who goes to Haran? Jacob, because he's fleeing from his brother. I want to share something. If you get out of this building, and, you f- and, and your life is the same, eh? Now, I'm not promising. I'm, it's not a faith statement. It's a knowledge statement. And your life is the same. I'll question whether you're born again. <laughs> I'm that serious. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, the scriptures tell us, this guy runs to Haran, to the uncle, and this guy stays by, until one day he gets his own dwelling called. You understand? And then he starts to dwell there. Years pass. And Jacob remembers that, eh, I need to make peace with my brother. He has something about me. So I need to look for him wherever he is and help and get this guy back to peace. Why? Because I remember the last conversation we had with him is I had taken the blessing. So, Remember the scriptures say that Jacob was blessed in the house of Laban. That the land was unable to maintain them, to hold them. I'm not talking of a blessing where, you know some Christians, they have a certain definition of blessing. I'm talking of a blessing where the land can say, we can't hold the wealth you carry. I'm not talking of the blessing where you have a few small millions on your account. And, and you don't even own more than 10 acres. Of, I'm talking of a place where... You become too blessed that the land cannot hold you anymore. Like the scriptures say, and the land could not bear the words of Amos. There's a point where Amos walked so much in the distinctions of the glory of God that the land could not bear. That there are things, if he spoke, the land could not bear. Who understands what I'm saying? So I'm not talking of a blessing that, that can just put you in one place and trickle your... Just... Things money can buy and guys who don't even have God have. You get what I'm trying to tell you? I'm talking of something that is too distinctive. That if it is a word coming out of you, the land can't bear you. As in, you, you, the, 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 the Bible says the words became bigger. They became than the land. Who understands what I'm saying? Who understands what I'm saying? That means it's, it's very possible to preach Uganda small. Do you understand where I'm coming from? It's very possible to preach the world small and the world becomes smaller than you. But anyway, that's it. I'm talking of the blessing wherewith the land could not hold them anymore. If you're talking of holding, it means they had more than what the land could, could hold. I'm talking of that kind of blessing. So when, when of course, when, when, when the man of God, Jacob, sees the blessing and, 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 and the, you, know, you remember the scriptures would tell you that the uncle being a thief, eh? He was, he was funny. You know that Kohal lineage? There's a someone there, but not generational curses. I'm not talking of that nonsense. You, you know? But you see, 
the scriptures tell us that there were times where Laban would give this guy weakened animals. You get it? And the scriptures say no. Even though he received a wicked animal, a weak animal, it would still produce more than his healthy ones. You, you get that kind of, of blessing. <laughs> you, you get where I'm coming from, where they put you in a certain position at workplace and, and, and they know that they are suppressing you and from there, the blessing comes from there. You get that kind of blessing. It was what was on Jacob. So Jacob got an overwhelming experience of the blessing of God upon his life. And after the land was too big that he could not hold him anymore, he realizes, oh, I have a brother. I need to make peace. Maybe let me carry him something. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's fly to Genesis um, 32, verse 1. We're going to read many scriptures, but it's important that we read them because some of you should or will understand where I'm coming from. Hallelujah. Verse 1 says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God, God's host, and he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith, Thus I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, I have asses, I have flocks, and men servants, and women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thine sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee and four hundred men with thee. Okay? Listen to the message he sends. Go and tell my brother, I have been blessed with Laban. I have hammers, Mercedes Benzes, many plots of land. Okay, translated. I have asses, I have oxen, I have men servants, I have women servants. Go and tell him that I am so rich. And I want to come and say sorry, but I'm rich. <laughs> so, when he goes, the message that comes back to him is, hey, hey, not only are you so eager to meet the brother, the brother is also coming. But remember, the last statement he had from the mother was that the brother was swore his life to kill him. You get where I'm coming from? So the moment he hears that this fellow is coming, he's like, uh-oh. But you listen to the scripture and it's rendering. The Bible says, and the messenger returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee and 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that was with and the flocks and the herds and the camels into the bands and he said if Esau come to the one company and smite it then the other company which is left shall escape. See how rich the guy is. He can even split it into two and it looks like it's enough to be owned by a very rich guy that he can say let's cut half if he comes and they kill these ones I shall remain with the others. He was that rich. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now let's continue. And he said Nine And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and the God of my father Isaac, the Lord which thou said unto me, return, da, 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 da. I'm not worthy of the list of the mercies and all the truth. Deliver me. What is he doing? He's praying to God that what? That Esau does not what? Does not kill him. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, I need to show you, I need us to jump to the place where they meet with Esau. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go, uh, uh, can we go to 33? Because there's a part that speaks of him wrestling and what. Oh no, I need to also make one thing clear. Eh? There is a portion of scripture, I think it's in the very reading, where he speaks of the experience, where he tells them, when my, my brother Esau comes, you tell him I have presents for him. You know, Because for him he's thinking that a gift what? Pacifies, and it's true. He knows the principle of giving. Eh? And he knows the only way he can make peace with his fellow is by what? 
by giving. But because of time, we will probably skip there. Let's go to 33, verse 1. I'm rushing through so that I paint a picture, okay? I hope you're okay with it. Uh-huh. The Bible says, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and behold, us so came with 400 men. And he divided the children and two Leah and two Rachel and two, two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost and Leah and her children after and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Okay? And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. Look at that irony. And fell on his neck and kissed him. And they what? They wept. Verse 5 says, And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children God has graciously given thy servant. This is Esau asking Jacob, Who are those? Okay? And then the handmaids came near and all their children and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came by, bowed themselves. And he said, verse 8, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. That means when this guy brought all this stuff, Esau said, What in the world is? Okay, what in the world is this? In your English. So he said, what is all this stuff? And the guy said, no, I brought all these things to find grace in your sight. Listen to what Esau said. Esau said, you can keep your stuff. I am rich. I have enough. There's something there. Jacob thought he would find Esau in the other level. Because he took the blessing. You get it? He didn't understand the graces, graces manifold, the graces of progressive knowledge. You get it? But you see, the place that gives understanding must be advanced in God. And that's the difference between epignosis and gnosko. When we're defining Jacob, Jacob did not have gnosko. He did not have progressive knowledge. Or else at least to have had something in his heart to tell him that maybe something might have changed in the state of this brother. Why? Because what stayed in his brain was this one thing. He carried the blessing. So he's coming, carrying uh, presents with a mind that he's going to find a poor guy whom he's going to give stuff to and then they make peace thereby. The shocker of his life is the guy tells him, oh, 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 wait a minute. I have more than you think. Keep your stuff. You see that mind? The mind that Probably Jacob dwelt in a certain definition of what he called blessing. That he became too indifferent of how God would bless the other one, which was not blessed by God. Okay, you'll understand. It's, it's that place where a man becomes indifferent to the mind of God. And that is what the Bible calls the wisdom of the prudent. The Bible says that the wisdom of the prudent is to know the way of the Lord. I'm not talking of the ways of the Lord. I'm talking of the way of the Lord. The ways of the Lord are just the manifestations of the things he does because of his way. But because, before you study the ways of God, you primarily must understand the way of the Lord. It's called the wisdom of the prudent. Any man which has prudency in spirit seeks the wisdom to know the way of God. Because the way of God is the mind of the spirit. And the mind of the spirit accords to how deep and how far the man has gone. Cancel. In the heart of man, the Bible says it has deep waters. But only that man with understanding can draw it out. There is one thing to know that I know this, and that's another. But when you have understanding of a thing, you're established. The Bible says that with wisdom, a house is built. And with understanding, a, a, a house is established. And knowledge giveth there the increase thereof. 
When a man lacks knowledge, the true order of the spirit should not that that man should seek knowledge. The true order of the spirit is, you must understand that by the spirit world, wisdom is the principal thing. Principal means it's the firstly. Okay? So if wisdom is the principal thing and he says by wisdom a house is built, by understanding a house is established and knowledge giveth the increase and precious pleasant things thereof. You can, if you lack knowledge, you probably have to go back to the principal thing which is wisdom. Knowledge is third dimensional. You get it? You don't go into knowledge without having the wisdom and understanding for the knowledge. That is why when he's praying for the Ephesian church, he prays that my Lord and Savior will grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of God. That the eyes of your understanding being illuminated, being flooded with light, you might know what is the hope of your calling, what are the glorious riches of inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of power that is at work within you. The place of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge. The knowledge comes because you carry wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding precede knowledge. But some people think knowledge is the principal thing. Knowledge and the principal thing. So if the Bible says that the wisdom of the prudent is to know the way of the Lord. We're not talking of the way of the Lord as just to the places of knowledge. Gnosco progressive. We're talking of the places of knowledge advanced. Epignosis. The complete and perfect knowledge which is after God. Why? Because you have the mind of God. The Bible says we have an action from on high. We know all things. All things means everything you know. So you carry an advanced knowledge of everything. Before you even know it, you know it. Who understands what I'm saying? That means you're smarter than Albert Einstein, brother. You're smarter than who? Abbott. You're smarter than all of those guys. Why? Because you are, you are ministering from another place. The plane where you are with is not the plane where men sink. The Bible says we speak this wisdom. How be it? Not in the wisdoms of men. But we speak this wisdom in the wisdom of God. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. In fact, the interlinear says spiritual things with spiritual people. Because you're spiritual, we have to define you with spiritual things alone. We can't be carnal when we're dealing with a Christian. Christians are unpredictable people. You'd be too inexcusable to be predictable or predicted by everyone. No. I decree and declare that it's your portion to be unpredictable. Listen, if, if a man can sink, you have 10 million on your account and gauge it, then you're predictable. I'm talking at a place where you have to be unpredictable. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is what? It is possible. So anyhow, but it's working. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I understand. Praise the Lord. Now, the indifference on Jacob is the fact that he doesn't know that even the Esau, which is not blessed after the pattern of him, can be blessed under a certain grace. And the grace that the father spoke, the one more blessing that could come out of his mouth, he told him, but one day, one day, you you can be under, you shall serve him, you shall live by the sword, but one day, he told him, one day, When you have the dominion. He didn't say when you shall have dominion. He called it the dominion. It's different when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. And just the spirit. You get what I'm trying to tell you? 
I'm not talking about a presence of God. I'm talking about the presence of God. I'm not talking about a dominion of sort. I'm talking about the dominion. He told him that one day thou shall have the dominion. That thou shall break his yoke off you from thy neck. Now let me define yoke. I was reading a portion of scripture in, uh, I think it's Jeremiah 28, 11. And um, let's open there. Jeremiah 28, 11. I need to show you something. Let's read. It says, an Anania spake in the presence of all the people saying, Thus saith the Lord. I want you to ponder. Even so, will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. The, some, okay, some of you want to call him Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he says, even so, will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Listen, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years and the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Even though we see that there was a prophetic word there, there's something so catchy. How can all nations be under one man's yoke? I don't know that you understand what I mean. Where it doesn't matter what those nations do, they are under one man's yoke. One man's yoke. One man like this. And then you get in the private personal lives of individuals and see how many people's lives can be destroyed by just one man's decision. One man like this. Like that judge who sits behind a table and says, I sentence you to 20 years. That's it. One man's life can be changed in just moments by another man's judgment. It's that serious. That's a yoke. That is a yoke. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had a certain glory upon him in his own way. That the Bible tells you that all the nations had their necks under one yoke, this guy. That means he had spiritual authority over every nation during that time. I mean, wherever he wanted, he would go. Whatever he wanted to subdue, he would subdue. Wherever he wanted to possess, he would possess. That's the kind of place I'm talking about. I'm talking of a place where it doesn't matter whether you have a plan, Uriah, and you saw this beautiful girl one day, and you married her, you even paid whatever you had to pay. But one day when David wants her, he will take her. Why? Because you're under the yoke of David. You don't usually or you don't ideally own anything. It seems like it is yours, but it is not really yours. Because it's under another man's yoke. Hallelujah. Now one thing many people have failed to understand is this. Depending on which yoke you submit to, it is very easy to discover when you're not just one Christian, simple minister, or person working at, at your workplace, and then you start to sense that you're actually a slave another person. Those are two different things. Slavery is not of God. No man must be owned. No man must be owned. A man can be hired. A man can work for another. But a man must not be owned. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. The place that makes us who we are was the liberty where we stand. He says, stand ye therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has given you and be not entangled yet again by the yoke of bondage. The freedom that the Christian carries was divine. It was God given and no man has the ability to take away what you carry in God. It's called freedom. But you see, a man can be too enslaved that they don't just enslave their body. They enslave their minds that they start to have testimony in slavery. That when you get them out of Egypt, Moses, and get them to through the wilderness, even though they have a few years to go all through to the other side, they will start to murmur, and the Bible says, mixed multitudes crossed with them. Are you hearing me? 
And they say, we remember the cucumber and the meat that we ate in bondage. Why did you bring us here to eat food? And in quotes, remember, that they have not dug for. You have their hands to, to get food. No, manna came. You see? But they ate manna every day until they said, no, we don't want manna anymore. I want my meat. They, they were too attached to Egypt. That even if you get them out of there and you tell them you're free, they would rather go back to the bondage because to them freedom was meat. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to tell you. If you study the exodus of the children of Israel for the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness, 38 years were around the mountain called Seir. Mountain called Seir was the, inhabit, was, was the inhibitation of Jacob. I'm sorry, Esau. That's why the scripture tells them they dwelt around there for 38 years of the 40 they spent in the wilderness. Meaning, they were put in a place where the sons of Jacob went in bondage and came back and admired the plains of Esau, which was not loved. You might not understand what I'm saying. Jacob was God's choice. But over years, they reproduced until one day the children of Jacob were taken into bondage. And amazingly, the Edomites never went in bondage. Esau's sons stayed in Seir. They were in a dry place, it's true, but they were free. For so long, they lived with the knowledge of what it meant to actually be at liberty. Hallelujah. But the scriptures tell you that for the 38 years of the 40 years they spent in the wilderness, those 38 years were around one mountain. Until the scripture tells you, God came and told them, you have been around this mountain for so long. They were not even yet tired. No, they continued in their mount. God is the one who said, I'm tired of you being broke. I'm tired. Of you being funny. I'm tired of they, them giving you a place to sleep. I'm tired of you borrowing. I'm tired. You see, the, the place where... The, the, the God is tired, but the guy is not tired. He's comfortable. They're on Mount Seir. Every day. They produce children and children's children. Grow up on trees. And even get acquainted to sheds. In lands that are not theirs. 48, 38 years. Seir. The dwelling of the Edomite, which was secondary in line, if you are to define blessing. But a man can be too enslaved that he never knows anymore what freedom is. It's possible. Many people are enslaved. They don't know what true freedom is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Of course, I'm not talking about you. You, your fanero. How can you be, sir? I'm talking about the other ones, not you guys up, but the other ones outside. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 So do you understand where I'm coming from? Now, I'm at the place where I need to understand between me and you. What is the point where the the game switches? The point where Esau has dominion. Besides, I want to help you understand that place. That's that you, if Jacob will wake up. I I need to wake up someone, eh? You get where I'm coming from? But what is that point that crosses lines to a place where the man now has the dominion? The dominion. Praise the Lord Jesus. Isaiah, come on scripture. And us to begin from there. 10, Isaiah 10 verse 27. Who is there? Mm-hmm. Read. The Bible says, and it shall come to pass, uh-huh, in that day, uh-huh, that his burden, uh-huh, shall be taken away from thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck uh-huh 
And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. I, I, I am coming there. You see, when they're talking about yokes on necks, let me explain this. For some of you who have read um, what they call, it's a, it's a Hebrew term called joining the yokes. Okay? It was ideally used with uh, farm animals, okay? like mules. You get two mules and tie them together to pull something, asses, donkeys. They would tie them in their what? In their necks. They want them to move at the same speed and at the same beat and in the same direction. You want to dig something and you need something heavier to help you in the digging. What do you do? You tie two things that must move at the same speed, same everything. It says that you have optimal force behind to pull whatever you have to pull to dig whatever you have to dig. If one goes ahead of the other, you're in trouble. You don't get it, okay? Now, some of you read scripture and then you hear things like, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Eh? Unequally. The Bible doesn't say, do not be equally yoked. No. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. He doesn't say, do not be equally. He talks about a place where you are unequally yoked. Because you are unequally. Unequally means, when they get a believer and they put a yoke in him, and then they get an unbeliever and they put another yoke in him, they are unequal. Who understands what I'm saying? Did you get where I'm coming from? Unequal yoking is, is likened to you getting a, an ass and then tying it with a goat. Uh-huh, thank you. you. You see where I'm coming from? They are both having yoke, it's true, but they can't move at the same speed, they can't move at the same move. No, my girl, he's quarreling with me. Can you believe it? He didn't even answer my call. Is it born again? No, Omwagazachi. I love him, Mwagari. It's the truth. Before you yoked, you were unequal. Whether you want it or not, you're smarter. Okay, that's according to the scripture. Whether you want it or not, you're richer, according to the scripture. Whether you want it or not, you're mightier, according to the scripture. Whether you want it or not, you're more blessed, according to the scripture. You get what I'm trying to tell you? Now, if you have to do your work so fast and then you tie the donkey with a goat and then you tell them move in the same direction, goat will get tired, you see? So you're, you're actually becoming a problem to the, the fellow. The fellow is not the problem, no. Understand me, sister. The guy is not the problem. You are the problem. Why? Because you unequally yoked. There is no, there is no, there is no principle in the spirit that tells a, a, an unbeliever that don't be unequally yoked. No, because the assumption to them is you're equal. That is why you say we are a match. Fitting. <laughs> but you see, your message is the guy in the world thinks that you're, he can manage. Until he enters the house. And he finds you in a room saying, Pakatalabaka, Solo Bobo Bobo, Silebakala, Zipatalaka, Rima Baba Baba. My God, Silebakala, it is working. It is working. And you're like, what is working? Are you talking about the refrigerator? Are you, what are you talking about? It's just working. Makatalabala, Salabala. A young woman approached me a few days ago and told me, I live in a place, I'm housed, so they give me shelter. And the guy of the house is with, them, with my family and 
the guy comes at night and he wants to sleep with me. He's tried so many times. We are fighting every day. I told her, so if you tell the mother of the boy, what does he do? No, they won't believe me. They'll think I'm lying. They're helping me. I'm an orphan. I told her, darling, I'm giving you a secret. The moment the guy becomes funny, just speak in tongues. <laughs> Superstar came with his Jezebel in the night. He opened the door. He looked. The Bible says you are in this world, but you're not of this world. Hallelujah. Not of them that are in Israel, of Israel. But baby, when you play with us, he says that the servants of God are flames of fire. So women, I advise, first day of dating, speak in tongues. The moment they're bringing drinks, eat. The moment they serve, you say, let's pray. Shiri makatala. Moborobos. So that he knows. <laughs> he knows. And if you're here and you're born again and you fear telling your family, don't tell them nothing. Just lock yourself and start to, sharababa. Don't worry. The rest will fall in line. That's why we don't unequally yoke. Hallelujah. So, when you read in Genesis 27, 10, that a time shall come when thou shall have the dominion. Now, as a matter of fact, if I, can, if I can share something with you very shortly. In the Hebrew numbering and codes, the number 27 represents the ministry of salvation. You get it? The number 27 represents the ministry of salvation. And the number 40 represents the ministry of probation. They were tried in the 40 years. So, in the place where God must minister salvation in your trial. You get, you get the mind? The place where God must minister salvation in your trial is a place where you must have the dominion even when the blessing was not directed to you. Now I'm speaking to Esau, not you. You are Jacob. You get it? But I want to show you so much on Esau that Jacob will just automatically what? Wake up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So Isaiah spoke of something very important that I want to pick from there. He said there is one thing that breaks every yoke of every man. It's called the anointing. You can fake worship. You can fake praise. You can preach deep. You can even replay another man's sermon and just hear it. And then present it as is. You can read a nice book. But there's one thing that can't come out of those pages. Neither those words. It's called the anointing. It's either working in your spirit. Or it's not working. Now I'm talking of a place where the man breaks the yoke. By reason of the anointing. Nothing else. But by the anointing. Let me tell you something amazing. David the man after God's own heart. hmm? The scriptures tell us. Actually, God, for more than 30 years, never spoke to Saul while he was king. As in God was, but he was, he was king. Are you hearing me? The glory on David started to grow without the knowledge of Saul. If you read the scriptures very well, you realize the Bible says, Saul loved David dearly. Do you know what it means? It means from the time this boy beat Goliath, eh, he loved him. He just loved him. Nobody can question the fact that Saul actually loved David. He had a heart for him. 
But there's one thing that even though all these events happened, there's something Saul never noted as a king. He never understood the principle where we the boy beat the giant. Giants still fall, if you understand the covenant. So the affair is not whether the guy is strong. The affair to the man is simple. He is uncircumcised. You get where I'm coming from? He, uh, he has a nice degree, but he's what? Uncircumcised. He has connections, but he is what? Uncircumcised. He, he got money before you, yes, but he is uncircumcised. That's enough. Saul, I know, never noted this. You get it? But if he knew, he would not have feared Goliath. If he believed so, the king would have loved to get the laurels, the glory. That is the one who what? But there is something he never knew. And it was very simple. That it was a covenant issue. It had nothing to do with strength or power. It was a covenant issue. Praise the Lord Jesus. Now I'm going a bit deeper here. Saul and David are working together. Saul, even when demons get on Saul, David plays the harp and the guy is okay. You get it? But something started to grow in David. And it started to become bigger than Saul. And the next thing you know, they are saying, David kills 10,000. Saul kills a thousand. Saul kills a thousand. David killed 10,000. You never saw David coming to Saul telling him, hey, man, I killed, can you believe it? I killed 10,000, me alone. No, 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 he never spoke nothing about it. No, the scriptures are very clear. The people started, whoa, 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 whoa. You get it? David kills 10,000. Saul kills a thousand. The Bible says, and the countenance of Saul changed toward David. He didn't hate him because the guy, no, no, no. There is one thing that probably was so short-sighted on, David, on Saul was this. That the boy was getting anointed. You get what I'm trying to tell you? He was just getting what? Anointed. There's that thing that can come on your life. And then you see people you used to laugh at you. But they're not laughing with you. No. Not because you're a bad person. Nada. No. No. It's just growing. Some of you, the moment they hate you, you run. Oh, I have a spirit of rejection. No, 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 no. The Bible says the poor are hated. That's what the Bible says. The poor are what? I hate it. So if you're poor, you automatically have a spirit of rejection. Get money. There's no, there's no deliverance there. No. The poor are used. The worry deliverance. Yeah, rejection. That thing is not there. You just get. Get money. And if you say spirit of rejection on you, check your pockets, balloons. Because the rich man has many friends. Hallelujah. Anyway, there are some people, it's not that kind of hating because they are poor, no. But there are some people where you'll get one time and people's countenances will start to change against you. Not because you're poor and not because you're a bad person, but entirely something on you is growing. Now, I don't know who I'm speaking to. Now, I learned that when you're in that kind of glory, and then you start to realize that things are happening, okay, at your workplace, you just go in a corner and just dance for God. Because that's what he calls table in the presence. Some of you are praying like, I pray my enemies die. No. Table in the presence of my enemies. You're there. You're happening. But they can't kill you. They can't. As in, there's something. You see, there's something. 
there's something the Lord places on you. Hallelujah. Now, I know it's bad to pray such prayers, but I pray people start to hate you. I pray people start finding fault with you and misinterpreting you, not because you're a bad person, no, but because of glory, brother. Glory. Hallelujah. It should, dis- you see, that's the gospel. It either revives or offends. There is no middle ground. It should disturb you that nobody is talking about you anything. For you, are just there. there some people are talking about me. If you were so funny and fake, they would not recognize. So anything spoken are because you are something. You are something. Now, I'm speaking this as a man of God. Some of you are going to start hearing funny words on you. Not because you're bad people, no. No, no, no. Their continences are changing. Their continences are changing. You see how Paul thinks? He says, brethren, count it all but joy when trials come. You get what I'm trying to tell you? He said that we count the sufferings that are upon us. They cannot be compared to the weight of glory that shall be revealed. But how does it, how does it happen? It happens... He said, okay, let's read that. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. How? For all that affliction cannot, which is but for a moment, uh-huh, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are that attitude on you is Those funny words spoken about you are. But the things which are not seen are eternal. If you want glory to increase upon your life, the moment you hear anything about you, you look on the things that are not seen. You look on the things that are not seen. While you look. While you look. While you look. Give me the Amplified Bible the same. I want to read in the Amplified from 18. Uh Since we consider, uh uh begin from from 17. Let's read from the Amplified. Uh-huh. He said, for our light, momentary affliction, this slight distress of passing hour, is ever more and more abundantly preparing uh-huh, and produ- listen, and achieving for us. And then you lose appetite because they said you stole a goat. No. He says, it is working for you abundantly. It's preparing and producing and achieving for you a what? An everlasting what? Weight of glory beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and calculus a vast and transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease. Next verse. Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things which are are temporal. HIV. Cancer. Who understands what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But the things which are invisible. <laughs> and you worry that they said you have HIV. It is visible under the microscope. It is visible. A man called me from Rwanda just two weeks ago. With a swollen leg. And he told me he had advanced cancer, smania, metastasis, which you had sarcoma, whatever silly things the doctors know how. And I told them, just do me one favor and just go back and tell them to check you again. But you have not prayed. I told him, you don't understand. <laughs> it's not about me praying. Uh-uh. 
The Bible says, now that they have one language and one speech, nothing that they think shall be impossible. He sent me messages on WhatsApp. My God, the results are negative. I don't understand. The results are negative. So when is the leg swelling? I don't even, don't, don't even, I don't want first, first, it to first unswell. I want the results to all first be negative. Then we can unswell. That's another level. But I want every doctor to know you don't. There's this girl one time who testified. I don't know. Some of you remember the recording on radio. She was brain dead. Smanya heart disease. All these funny things. And then she got healed the same day. And the amazing thing was, when she went for all the tests, every time they would put her in the machine, the machine would refuse to read. Then they put her out and they put in someone else and it reads. Then they put him out and then they put her in and the machine refuses. And then they put her out and then put in another. Then until a Muslim guy said, watch with this woman. And she told the guy, I told you I am healed. Hallelujah. She had one week to die. Let me tell you, some of you just don't know what's inside you. The day you know. The day you know, you'll stop calling man of God, pray. Pray man of God. No. Man of God, pray. No. You'll stop. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Romans 8. Verse 19. Verse 20. Let's read probably from 18. I want to show you something wonderful. Sorry, I did not plan to go there, but it's important I go there. He says, if I recall that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Next verse. For the earnest expectation, listen, of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons. Okay? Now, when you read the Hebrew word there for creature, it means anything created by man and God. Even that plastic chair. First, think it from that perspective. Even your shoe. Okay? Let's continue. Let's continue. 20. Uh-huh. For the creature, listen, was made subject to what? Not what? Willingly. But by reason of him who has subjected the same in what? In hope. Meaning that everything created in this world is subject and a particular vanity without its will. Okay. Simply put in English, a chair is bound to break. It doesn't want to break, but it is bound to break. You get where I'm coming from? Nothing physical and is created is not subject to vanity. Try to understand this. Nothing you see lives forever. That's why the Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away. The, everything you see visible one time, everything you see now, one time will have to what? There is a force that has subjected everything. That's why you can't fight for the shoe because the shoe will get old. You can't fight for the bag because it will tear. But even bigger, all these things you see in kingdoms and, and everywhere you see, just look around this earth, you realize that everything you see, one day will be what? Why? Because there's a principle I need to submit to you. It's called every creature is submitted to vanity. There's a point where everything will become useless. Even that nice car, they get you out and bury you without it. But there's a point that has to make everything vanity. You get it? Now, if the scriptures are saying that they are groaning for the honest expectation. They are anticipating for the manifestation of the sun. You. What do you think they are thinking? Ah, what do you think they are thinking? What do you think that that which must live is thinking when it yearns for your manifestation? Meaning it's the only place anything which is visible has hope to exist. Because you see, if you're saying that heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall abide, okay? 
And the scripture says that you've been begotten of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. It liveth and abideth forever. He saw, the Bible says in the Psalms, the end of all perfection, but the word of God became broader. He exalted his word above his name. As Jehovah Jireh has to first fail to provide before you lose the battle. You get it? He has exalted his word above his name. It's the highest office and place of which you're begotten of. That means when creation looks at you, it looks at the only thing which can make it live longer. Meaning that this temporal world has a place of senses. And because it has a place of senses, it has a way it responds. That is why he cannot walk to a fig tree. The Bible says, for he saw trees. He saw leaves there and he was hungry and wanted to eat. He goes to the fig tree and he says, and he finds nothing to eat. For the Bible says, for it was not the season of figs. And the guy says, look, whether it's season or it's not season, you're floating the principles. I am a son of God. I am hungry. In that dimension, Jesus was not expected to make a miracle of growing fruit. No. The tree was expected of creating the miracle of fruit. You see, they read signs and wonders shall follow you. You see, he didn't say you shall do signs. No, he said these signs and miracles shall follow. They shall follow. You get it? That means they shall respond. In other words, when you, oh, Sheleba, you, you go to your shop like this, you understand? And your shop says, oh God, the rich guy has come, the rich guy has come. And then it starts to think of how to multiply. Because everything you turn to, everything you turn to must provide. It must provide. It must. So it's beyond tires that don't have money. Listen, if you turn and say, I'm going to do business of tires, you're going to make money. You, the rest I don't know. If you say, I'm going to make chapatis, I don't, make, I don't care how many people make chapatis. If you turn to eat, if you turn to eat, it must provide. Why? Because there is a happiness, it must respond to the one it will need in the place when vanity approaches it. I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. At I'm speaking in simple English. You see, they, they are subject to vanity. So, let me speak the Luganda word. Bikweguya. Have you been around people who are around rich people? They laugh even when they're not laughing. Ah, you're funny. Ah, rich people are funny. They're not really funny. They're just rich. They're just what? They're just rich. But you have money. Even what is not a joke. You say, hey, house fly. Ah, Why? Because they need something from you. You say me. Yes. So, if these things are, they are for the, they, they are expecting the manifestation. They showing forth of you. It's because it's the only hope they have for them to be turned at the place when they must become vanity. They need to exist in a certain realm and you're the only access in that world. Do you understand where I'm coming from? You're the only access. You see, the Bible says the things which are seen are temporal. But also, the scriptures say in Hebrews 11, 3, that the things that you see were not made about by the things which do appear. That means this didn't make the next one. You get it? But if you look at the rendering of Hebrews 3, he says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. 
So that, listen, the things which are seen, these things, eh, were not made of things which do appear. He has created a present continuous experience of things which still appear. Now, some people think of creation subject to vanity only in the things visible. They don't know creation subject to vanity, not yet revealed. It's one thing when you're speaking about creation and it's not yet revealed. Because you see, it's also there. Let us now make man in our own image and likeness and he created them male and female. In his own image and likeness created he them, male and female. They existed in Genesis 1, 26, 27. But in Genesis 2, 7, he says, And now he formed man out of the dust and breathed unto him the nostrils of life. And he became a living soul. Before he became a living soul, he existed in the spirit. He was creature. So, now I'm not talking of things only on the level of the things you've seen. I'm talking of things that have not yet come out, but they are visible and they are yours. In the spirit. They're invisible. Are you hearing me? They're invisible, but they're yours. They also have a place of subjection to vanity. But the place of their hunger and thirst and desperacy is more than those which have at least existed and seen this world. The child which has not been born requires a place to have experienced this world and you are. That's why people die when they're old and say, oh, you are Meaning they've had an opportunity to live in this world. But what about that child which died in the mother's womb? That means she was denied of any opportunity to ever see her child be what she could have been. Maybe the next president was killed. You get my point? So much as you can speak of the things which do appear. I'm, I'm speaking of an experience before they appear, but they are subject to vanity. They are subject to vanity. They are waiting for the manifestation of the true sons of God. Meaning... That it's also possible for the sun to be and not manifest. It's possible for you to be rich and not be rich. It's possible for you to be healthy and be sick. Because you see, he calls the living out of the dead and calleth the things which are not as though they are. That is the nature of Jehovah God. He calleth the things which are not as That's the principle. Faith on the earthly is the principle eternal wisdom in the spirit world. So when the manifold wisdom is given to the church in the book of Ephesians, it's only that we will know our way of how to function in the spirit realm to make visible the things which are not visible and give them the opportunity to appear in the earthly realm but without the worry of turning vain because they are submitted to us. The Bible says, all things are yours. Where are things present? Even the things to come. He says, for all things are yours and your Christ. You own even the things that should appear one day. But you must have a wisdom to exist and control the very things. Least they still have spoil because they are subject to vanity. You see, the human spirit is like a brand in the world. If you learn to understand the principle of branding in the spirit, it is the same principle with the human spirit. For as a man thinketh, so is he. If you think broke, even the money that wants to appear is thinking. <laughs> he can't save me. And that's the same number. Even the car that wants to drive you realizes no. He doesn't have the mind to save me. He's not ready. That's why the communication of our face becomes effectual when we learn to acknowledge every good thing which is in us which is in Christ. You wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and say, boy, you're brown. Speaketh of the things that are not as though they are. I don't know that you understand what I'm trying to tell you. 
boy you're rich you are blessed you are increasing you're multiplying it becomes effectual you start to cause effect that if money needs to manifest for your sake it is manifesting to the man which understands the language it has the hope of being redeemed from vanity why because you are a kingdom person and anything used in the kingdom cannot be for spoil. And that's a place where even the cows become toys. Because they're simply instruments of the gospel. Not the vindications of the anointing and glory upon our lives. Why? Because we know how to get them, we know how to lose them. For I am instructed to be full and to be a best. For I am both instructed to have and not to have. He says, I am instructed. Paul If he woke up in the morning and he wanted a million dollars, he knew how to get it. He didn't need a prayer chain of intercessors. That is why every man of God must be responsible for their ministry before the people are. Before the people are, I am responsible for Fanero before you are. If you don't do it, I do it. He called me. You get where I'm coming from? And every man ought to take responsibility, except if you've not examined yourself. Whether you be in the faith. But if you be in the faith and you've taken, you must, that's the place of maturity. Taking responsibility of everything that happens in your life. You might not be responsible for what happened last year. It's true. But you're responsible for what's going to happen from now to next week. And that is why every man who has learned to walk in the spirit, the primary basis of understanding should be for you to know what is precious and vile, what is permissible and beneficial. For he says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. He's not talking of just spiritual things of drinking little wine and alcohol. No, he's talking of the spirit world. Even in the spirit world, there are things which are permissible, but they're not beneficial. They are are allowed for you to access, but they will not benefit. He's talking of that glory that must reveal unto you, the Bible calls them, the unsearchable things of God. Things that no spirit can enter the spirit realm to search out but must come by reason of their subjection to you. Whether Apollos, whether Paul, the revelation and substance therein is all yours. Why? Because it's by the same spirit which searches out the deep things. Hallelujah. I want to I I rush this out and then we finish. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we get to the point where if I must understand what breaks any yoke, it must be the anointing. But I must define the anointing. Then my Lord comes. And he says, every man is under a particular yoke. You take of mine. You take of my yoke. And learn from me. For I am meek. He says, you take of my yoke. There are yokes in this world. But mine is lighter. Mine is lighter. It makes things a bit easier. The Christian had not yet understood what the Christ was trying to pass on. Because you see, whether you want it or not, conscious or unconscious, you're subject to a particular yoke. Every man in this world is subject to a particular yoke. Whether you're conscious or unconscious. But he says, come now unto me that labor and a heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke for I am meek and lowly. Let's go to 28. I want you to read it in, um, in the message, vivo, message version. Uh-huh. One, two, let's read. Of getting jobs. Of wanting to get married. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
a real rest. Not your definition of rest. I'm talking of God. Are you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Because you're not supposed to be tired in the things of the spirit. You're not supposed to be worn out in the things of the gospel. Understand me. Somebody one time criticized me and said, Apostle Grace, you know, he said, I have a problem with Apostle Grace. He only preaches the gospel of no struggle and strife. I don't believe in it. I said, wonderful. Me, I'll keep on. Because you see, we've ever struggled. Some of you see us young, but we struggled. We know what it is. And you do everything you're told to do. And you do everything. The seven principles of prayer. Thirteen principles of manifesting. Smile 25 principles of smile building. Smile 10, 16 principles. You cram all this stuff. And it's all head knowledge. You can articulate mystery. Drop it down like it's hard. But no results. Who understands what I'm saying? You see, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man. It seems right in the sense of when, when the man looks, he thinks it's the right way to do things. But the end thereof is destruction. And that's why it dries our brooks. Because you see, we think we are ministering, but we're not really ministering. Because we're not ministering from a place. We're ministering from an indifference. It has adopted the pattern of how to do ministry and it thinks that's ministry. Look at the Christ. He never gathered men and did nothing. He says they cannot come except the Lord draw them. Why aren't they coming? For us, we mean churches where it seemed like the pastor wanted God more than God wanted. <laughs> Who understands what I'm saying? Do you understand where I'm coming from? Now the pastor looks like he needs God to move more than God wants to move. He needs God to deliver more than God wants to deliver. He needs God to provide. And then they sell their shoes, sell their bags, sell everything. And they say, listen, one time I was reading this portion of scripture. And I'm, I'm going to spoil someone, but it's okay. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It means you can build ministry and buy a house and build a car. And do all, you know, I, I used to hear Christians say some nonsensical things. You get what I'm trying to tell you. So, project, no. Me, I will build and I'll buy what I want to buy and I'll go where I want to go. And if I want to start another one, I'll start it. For I can do all things through Christ. Which strengthens me. Not that the sufficiencies of us. To know of anything. I don't know why some of you still even have parts in the gospel. He said, not that the sufficient. Or not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Listen. To think anything. Hey, hey. Even when I do it. Like this, it's of God. You know when I turn like this? Hey. <laughs> even when I do it's of God. Not that we have any sufficiency to think of anything as of ourselves. You no longer even take yourself to the lose. That's how serious. He says, but the sufficiencies of God, which has made us able ministers oh, of the covenant. This covenant is going to make you build a church while you're building a house, while you're building a university, while you're building a school, while you're getting married, while you're raising children, while Opoko Teleba. And guys are going to ask you, how are you doing it? Listen, I quit banking last month, but I was preaching. I was preaching. So people are like, how do you preach 
And then you bank the whole day. They don't understand. I always tell them, no, I don't bank. Sharamakatele barabanks. I don't preach. preaches. You understand? First, first get rid of that, those things you think you're doing to move God. Understand that the sufficiency is not of you. Buy a plot of land, build while you're buying another car, while you're educating your neighbor's kid. Eh? Do all things by Christ who strengthens you. And then the man of, the, the back of those days, the man of God said, you see, my child has atoned because me, I am what? Preaching the gospel. Me, I'll say, oh, hey, 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 hey. you see where I'm coming from? No, you can do all things by Christ, which strengthens you. Now, the Christ tells you, are you worn out? Are you tired? Are you disgruntled? He says, are you burned out on religion? I'm talking about people who have done everything. You've seen on every list and realized that everything has been said. You've done it to the letter, but it's still not. You know, I, I get hurt when people come to and say, Apostle, I have done everything. But it's not working. One time they brought me a woman who said she has gone to every doctor to be healed. And she has failed to be healed. And then I prayed the first time. I asked, do you still feel pain? I more pain. I asked, let's pray the second time. We pray the second time. Do you still feel pain? God tells me, tell her not to believe this time. It was the most radical thing I'd ever told a woman. I told her, God has told me, don't believe, don't pray. Just look at me. She looked at me. I touched again the part and she was healed. I realized that her faith was fighting mine. Now I know why when dead men die, we have to first get some people out of the rooms. Because some people are negative faith. They're just contributing to killing. You understand? They're, they're, they're waiting. When you say, I repeat that spirit of death, for them they are seeing it die more. So you're actually in spiritual warfare. That's I realize sometimes when you really must do the most deadly operations, do them alone. Do them alone. Because sometimes when you involve multitudes, some of them, they are the other way around. They will kill you. Except you have the right people. Tell anybody except you have the right people. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise the good Lord Jesus. So he says, are you burned out on religion? Let's finish this. Uh Uh-huh. Next verse. Walk. uh Uh-huh. With me. Read. And walk with me. Uh Uh-huh. Watch how I do it. He says, learn of me. Learn the unforced. You don't force prayer. You don't force miracle. You, the other day, a certain person called us. They had a sick mother and then another person. And then I prayed for the sick mother. She threw the clutch, walked away. And then she came back like this. Hey, for you, you want to produce the hard way. You want to get married the hard way. You want to get a job the hard way. You want to intercede the hard way. Everything for you is hard. You want to pregnant, get pregnant hardly. You want everything. So my life is a hard one. You don't. You have to struggle. By the way, you you have to struggle. Why do you struggle? He said, I want you to learn how I do it. Jesus never struggled. I refuse to struggle. Jesus never fought anything. I refuse to fight anything. Jesus never pulled strings. I refuse to pull strings. For this is love made perfect that we might have confidence on that day. For as he is, so are we in this present world. He says, learn from me. How do I do it? Lazarus, come forth. Little girl, wake up for you. Shakalalala. Shakalalala. Jesus. 
Jesus! Jesus! Do you know the two dead bodies have raised? I raised them driving. One of them was just at the hospital of Ginger Road. Told me, Chloe has died. I said, she has died. Put her on the phone. First confirm. Is she, all the pulse is gone. Yes, doctors confirmed. They are putting her in something. I said, now you walk to her. Put her on the phone. I was driving. Ginger Road. I said, Chloe, come back. She came back. We didn't go to, Jesus! Jesus! that they said, man, that man of God, when he starts to pray, and then he also come with a, with a first rhythm of grace. Then you say, Tugenda Kusaba. Even their voices died, Tugenda Kusaba. Toba de Kurusosi, Enakumusan, Fungatunyamukama, Tugenda Kusaba. He said, When you fast, put on the best clothes, darling. Put your mouth red. Are you hearing me? Walk like you're not. But our generation, when they fast, they're like this. They don't even iron their clothes. Why? Because they're fasting. Tell your neighbor, mine will come easy. Mugambe, mine will come easy. Tell him again. Say, mine will come easy. Go on, you to be taken and say, I refuse to struggle. I refuse to struggle. The Bible says, the servant of God must not strike. I refuse. To struggle. Let's go back. He says, learn of me for I am. Meek. Uh-huh. I won't let read. Mm-hmm. Freely. Free and light. Free and light. Free and light. Free and light. You see, let me tell you something. In John 3.34, in John 3.34, I've seen a very indifferent understanding of the things of the Spirit when men read this portion. The Bible says, for he whom God hath sent. Did God send you? The Bible says, speaketh the words of God. Do you speak the words of God? Next verse says, for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. Why you sent of God? You have an anointing that can't be measured. Give me the amplified of the same. Amplified, 334. Uh-huh. Let's read. For since whom God has sent, speaks the words of God, proclaims God's own way. God does not give him his spirit sparingly or by measure, but boundless is the gift God makes of his spirit. I am not limited in the anointing. I can do anything. That's what makes you and me unpredictable. Were we sent of God? Do we carry his word? I submit to you. The anointing upon your life can't be measured. 
it can't be measured. You have an anointing on you that cannot be measured. As in, they can, listen, meaning they can't say that this is where you end. The first day we sat in Labonita, we filled it. The first day we sat here, we filled it. What does it tell you? We can't. Uh, 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 I'm not. I wish you understand the place of the measure of the spirit given in abundance without measure. Meaning, I am not limited. We, if I have to function in the spirit realm, I can do anything in the spirit. That's what I believe. So I don't walk like me. God gave me this part. Uh-uh. No. Listen, I can have a divergence of gift. It's okay. Differences of operation. Differences of giftings. It's okay. But the Bible says that the manifestation of the spirit is for the prophet unto all. That means every man has the ability to manifest the spirit for the benefit of all. That place where the spirit must be ministered. It's for everybody for the profit of all. And you're not supposed to accept something that has measure to it. If you seek manifestation. No. Seek manifestation on the need present. If the man wants an eye to grow, let it grow. In the name of Jesus. If the man wants a tooth to grow, let it grow. In the name of Jesus. Why? Because the manifestation of the spirit is a given unto every man to profit with all. It's given to every man. No man does not have access to function. These things were not far. You were just indifferent. Now he has said that you have the Holy Ghost and you carry an anointing without measure. What can't you do? You remember the person of scripture I read? I, I, I'll go back a bit before I finish. You remember the first things where the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, da, 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 to know what is the hope of your calling, what are the glorious riches of inheritance of your sins? Huh? Go to 18. Uh-huh. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of a calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Next verse. And what is the exceeding greatness of power toward us who believe according to the working. Ha, ha, ha. Read in the Amplified. Somebody's going to catch fire. Read it. And so, listen, let's read. So that you can understand uh-huh, what is the immeasurable uh-huh, unlimited surpassing greatness Oh, 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 read it again. It is immeasurable. It is unlimited. It surpasses greatness of his power. And for us who believe as demonstrating in the working of his mighty strength. Next verse. Uh-huh. 20. Uh-huh. Which he exerted in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Next verse. Far, listen, above all and authority and and oh and every name that is named above every title that can be conferred. Not only in this age and this world but also in the age and the world which is to come. Ooh, you have something that is bigger than any name that they could ever name and every title that they could ever confer. President is an understatement. Excellence is an understatement. 
His holiness is an understatement. His righteousness is an understatement. His hey, hey, listen, any name, listen, you all share bakara. You carry the anointing on your life. When God tried to name it, he realized that it is bigger than any name that can be conferred on anybody. Not only in this age, but the ages to come. Meaning, you have a sufficiency to be effective even in the next 50 years. Oh, the psalmist now knows that wisdom and he says that when I was young, you showed me your power. And he says, but now when I am old, he says, forsake me not until I show your power to this generation and the generations to come. David was sure a living soul, that he would preach and minister in this generation. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? David was sure that the Psalms would be present. That's the same anointing by which I say I am sure your messages will be necessary in the next 200 years. I am sure the wisdom of God upon your life will be necessary in the next 300 years. I am sure that the mind that you carry will benefit men in the next 400 years. Carl, I am so sure that if Christ is not yet back in 300 years from now, something about you is going to be alive. I don't know that it will be a miracle. I don't know that they will say, you see that thing, she's the one who prayed for it and it grew. I don't care. But you must leave something on the earth. Why? Because you're unlimited. And the yoke you're under is light. So why do you struggle? Why do you struggle? If you're here and you've been struggling, eh? understand the yoke you're under. If the man which was under a yoke had to break forth from the dominion of the brother, you, you have never been bound when you became born again. He said that you are seated in Christ far above all principalities, all dominions, all powers. You began the life of salvation without any bondage. You're clean. I know some of you are told you have generational curses, but that is because you, the people who teach you don't understand what Christ did. Let me warn you as a Christian. This generation, eh, let them watch out for you. Do you know what it means not to be limited? Not to be measured. Do you know what it means to carry something that surpasses all greatness? You small thing. You have what the nations want. You have everything the world will ever need. It's inside your system. You small woman, you, as you are. And you think that you must get a job of 400,000 to be a success. No. 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 You're already a success. You're already a success. Now, start to move in an anointing that cannot be limited. Start to move in a glory that cannot be measured. And it's the time now for the church to start being unpredictable. It's time for us, for men to look at us when they can, even if they try to measure us, they will never understand you. They will think they figured you out until they realize you're different. Hallelujah. I want you to raise your hands wherever you are. Say I'm immeasurable in anointing. 
I'm unlimited in glory. The anointing upon my life has broken every yoke. I can only be yoked to Christ. And because we are co-heirs, it means we are co-yoked. I move at the speed of Christ. I understand by the understanding of Christ. I function by the functioning of Christ. I heal by the healing of Christ. Like donkeys are tied together. I am tied with Christ. As he is so am I. I am more than a conqueror. By Christ which strengthens me. Christ is not moving faster. Neither is he moving any slower. He's moving with me. He's moving with me. He's moving with me. Now I want you to take a minute only and start to speak things. Just start to speak a few things. Just just speak a few things. Just speak a few. Just speak. Speak things. If speak things. You have an anointing without measure. You have anointing that cannot be limited. That is the anointing that breaks poverty. That is the anointing that breaks barrenness. That is the blessing that breaks any kind of situation. That is the anointing that restores your husband. That is the anointing that will heal your child. That is the anointing that will increase you wherever you go. That is the anointing that will multiply the gifts of God upon your life. That is the anointing that will take you very far. That is the anointing that will heal anything around you. That is the anointing that will shake nations. That is the anointing that will change lives. That is the anointing that will uplift the lowly. That is the anointing that will help you to fought the high fences. That is the anointing that will help you smash the bands of the marauders. That is the anointing that will make you climb every hill. It is the anointing that will make you climb every hill and mountain. That will make you cross every ocean and sea. In the name of Jesus. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.